We're going to wrap up our series on Unalienable this morning. Of course, we have a national election coming up on Tuesday with a corporate prayer meeting in between. We're on day 12. I hope you've been enjoying the books that we handed out to you. I just wanted to read some scripture for day 12 just to remind us of the power of our great and awesome God. Look at Psalm 47. For God is king of all the earth. Aren't you grateful for that? Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Psalm 22, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Psalm 66, who rules by his might forever whose eyes keep watch on the nations, including our nation. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves against the Lord. A strong warning. So we're going to gather together tomorrow night. We're going to worship, but we're going to let our focus be on giving God the highest praise, crying out for mercy for America, crying out for an awakening to happen in our nation once again. How many of you can be in agreement for that? And how about this? Rejoicing that no matter what the outcome of the election is, God is still on his throne. He's still working out his purposes. And our job description has not changed one iota. We're going to be in for an amazing fall and an amazing new year because Jesus Christ is on the throne. That's the good news. Last week, I tried to help you all out. I tried to, I tried to narrow the field of people that you should consider voting for. And I didn't mention any names. But, but I, think, I, I think I believe that you guys are smart enough to connect the dots. You don't have to agree with me, but I hope you'll connect the dots between what we're saying and go, ah, that's what pastor's talking about. And what I tried to establish was the fact that there are certain things in this book. And let me just say this. I'm going to change my language. I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, uh, you know, you should believe these things. Because there's people that call themselves Christians that don't believe the Bible. There's people that call themselves Christians who don't who who vote directly opposite to the things God says he hates. And I'm just trying to provoke you that your highest allegiance is not to a party or a person or a certain group or organization. Your highest allegiance is to King Jesus. And the things we talked about last week these are, you remember the phrase self-evident truths in the declaration? Can I just say there are self-evident truths in the Bible? Remember the interpretation of that was anybody that reads it could understand it. These are not hard things to figure out. They're not that complicated. He said, first of all, we're not going to vote for people that don't promote and understand the sanctity of life. This is big. Now, I just... I just narrowed the field. I just severely narrowed the field in both parties. We just had a massive funnel happen. We're not going to promote people that promote the destruction of innocent life and that don't value life and that don't see life as sacred and as a gift from God. Those people should not be leading you at any level of government. Secondly, we're not going to support people who don't support the sacredness of marriage. That marriage is an institution God created that is the foundation of every healthy nation. As the family goes and as marriage goes, so goes the nation. That's why, by the way, we're struggling in America right now because the fabric of our society is being ripped apart because the building blocks of our society are being crushed. 
That's why the local family, the local marriage uh, is important and we should fight to protect it. We should not allow people to reinvent it and redefine it and turn it into an institution that has no meaning whatsoever. And I just want to encourage this young generation, you guys are more pro-life than ever. Praise the Lord. But you know what else is happening? There's more confusion and lack of clarity in this young generation regarding marriage and regarding gender. And I'm just telling you, it shouldn't be. So here's what I'm telling you all. Stop it. Because your future depends on it. And it's not some benign thing. I shared with you last week, we're not talking about people. We love people. We all know people who have either experienced some of the pain from some of this confusion in our culture. Some of them are in our own families. My heart goes out to every single person who's struggling with some, something like this. We have situations in our own family where we've been touched by this. Our hearts are broken over this. But let me just tell you, and I'm going to say this as clearly as can be, we should violently attack every idea that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ because bad ideas hurt people. Bad ideas hurt people. This whole idea that you can just be whatever gender you want to be and you can take drugs that destroy uh, who God created you to be. We have a whole generation of people that will never recover from that. They will never recover from that. They might recover in their heart of hearts because Jesus can heal, but they will never recover from what we are doing to them. It is child abuse. It should not be happening in our nation. And the third, and I just want to say this too, the LGBTQ movement represents the greatest attack on your religious liberties that this nation has ever seen. And I will mention some names right now because the Biden-Harris ticket has said that the first 100 days of office they will push through or work to push through the Equality Act, which is nothing about equality. It will be the greatest trampling of religious liberty that you've ever seen in this nation, and it will be directed towards you. I'm just telling you that. Which leads to the third point, the, uh, the security of religious liberty. Religious liberty is something you have to fight for. It reminds governments that there is some, something, someone higher than them. And that one higher than them is God Almighty. Your conscience exists to worship and honor God, and no government should compel or coerce you to act or operate or do things that you feel is a violation of your conscience before God Almighty. No one can force you to bake the cake. No one can force you to close your house. No one should be able to shutting you down to keep you from operating your business. These are all tramplings of our religious liberty that we've seen in this last season. And only a people who don't understand their liberties allow their liberties to be taken away from them. So we're, we need to get educated and we need to stand up. And today I want to talk to you about becoming what one author called impossible men and impossible women. And I want us to end by focusing on our unstoppable God. My point is that there are biblical convictions, there are non-negotiables that should be unassailable, untouchable, and off limits. And I just want to ask you, is that true for you? Are there things in your life as a lover of Jesus and as a follower of the book? I mean, you know, this book is not a book written by human beings. It, this book is Thus Saith the Lord. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is the, the mind and the heart of God. It is the greatest treasure we have that God took the time to communicate to us His will and His desire. I mean, you know, non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Draw the line. I don't care what kind of heat you get, non-negotiable. I don't care what kind of pressure you get, untouchable. I'm not compromising. And so here's the point. 
when you live in times of controversy, which how many of you know we're living in times of controversy? Controversy, ready for this? Controversy is your friend. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, anytime you draw a line, you pick a fight. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Don't cross the line. What did you just do, man? You just threw the gauntlet down. And you know, what did you do? You walk up there, right? That's how, that's how kids handle their problems, right? Like, right there. It's, a, it's, it's like, here's the line. What are you going to do about it? Well, guess what? Every time you draw the line and say, I'm not going there, I'll never support that. You just picked a fight. And history, this is why I love history. I love reading history because you realize you're not, this is not the first go around. There have been other people that lived in turbulent times. This, in fact, is the church's greatest time. This is our most, our time for the best opportunity we've ever been given. Because, listen, people will pay attention now to when people draw lines. Because we're living in a culture that doesn't like lines. Lines represent authority. Lines represent boundaries. And how many of you know our culture today hates lines and we hate boundaries? We don't want anybody telling us what to do or how to live. So as soon as you start drawing lines, you're picking a fight. You're picking a fight with the devil. You're picking a fight with the culture. And you're going to have controversy. History points out this truth that every powerful spiritual awakening, every move of God, every revival, every reformation only came about when controversy was part of the process. So what I'm trying to tell you guys is stop living as Christians like you're really in the will of God when everything is smooth sailing. I'm trying to tell you you're probably out of the will of God when everything is smooth sailing. You don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. If you're on the love boat, you're supposed to be on a battleship. You might be missing your call. I also want to say this. This book was written to deal with controversy. Do you know why our new, we have our New Testament with all those letters that Paul and Peter and all the guys wrote? You know why they wrote those letters? Because truth was being attacked and heresy was being put forth. And somebody said, you know what? Truth in God and his glory matters so much, we need to bring some order to it. Which is why this, and by the way, all this stuff just is fresh stuff. It came before the PowerPoint creator, so you're wondering, how come none of this is on the PowerPoint? My fault. But anyway, we're going to get to the PowerPoint in just a minute. This is all extra. Jude chapter 3. Jude says, or Jude verse 3. Jude says this. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend. Everybody say contend. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That means that the faith is a standard, it's a pattern, it's the whole counsel of God. It's not to be messed with, it's to be submitted to. You hear what I'm saying? So this book is the product of blood, sweat, and tears of people that gave their lives so the truth could be put in book form for us and so we could have it to read and guide our lives even today. This is one of my favorite quotes by Abraham Kuyper, and, I, and it's not on the screen. I wish it was. But just listen. We're going to break it apart. When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day. Okay, so are we living in that day when principles that run against or run crossways to our deepest convictions begin to win? Are we in that time? Yes, we are. He says the battle is your calling and peace has become sin. This is so good. I want you to hear this. It means this. As a man of God, preaching the word of God, 
into the culture in which we're living, if my message to you is peace, 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 when the very things that we hold dear and that God holds dear are being attacked, then I'm not preaching the gospel to you because the battle becomes my calling. We could be preaching on a thousand different topics in this book today, and they'd all be God's word. But when there's civil war out in the culture and we're not talking about it, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit or something like that. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit, that's great. But there is a war going on in our culture. To not deal with it is a dereliction of our duty. Peace has become sin. And listen, he says, you must at the price of dearest peace, we love peace, at the price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare. That means lay it on the table before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. This is so good. You know, peace is a good thing. God blesses the peacemakers. But history has proven that peace never is never achieved by selling out on what is precious or by caving into the world to avoid controversy. Can I just tell you, if you play it safe, your children will be inheriting in a completely different America than we currently experience right now. If you play it safe and avoid controversy and say peace, peace, when the, when the prophet said there is no peace, uh, we all will suffer because that kind of gradual accommodation results in the loss of our most precious liberties and in the loss of, of truth. And here's the end of it. God's glory gets trampled and people made in God's image and likeness get destroyed. We have a sacred duty Controversy is my friend because here's why. Controversy forces me to say, what do I believe? What is worth fighting for? Every one of us, every one of us needs to face this. What are those things in your life that are non-negotiable? What are the principles that are worth dying for? Or how about this? What are the principles that are worth living for? Because that sometimes is harder than dying for I believe the Lord is looking for impossible men and women. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We're going to start right there today. Acts chapter 17. That should be on the PowerPoint. All right. Acts chapter 17. Some of the Jews, verse 5, were jealous. So they gathered some troublemakers. Everybody say troublemakers. They gathered troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. Is the Bible up to date or what? I mean, you know, Satan's strategies are not new, but they are effective. So when something's working, just keep working it. They gathered troublemakers to form a mob and to start a riot. That's happening all over America today. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so that they could drag them out to the crowd. And it says, verse 6, not finding them there, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers instead. How many know you got to watch who you're hanging with? Because if you're a troublemaker on the good side, you might find yourself in trouble if you hang out with other troublemakers. And it says they took them before the city council. Paul and Silas, they said, have caused trouble all over the world. These are world-class troublemakers right here. And now they are here disturbing our little city, our nice little town. 
And look at verse 7. Jason has welcomed them into his home. How dare you identify with these troublemakers and open your house to them? They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. (laughs) I love that. I love reading early American history because we found out that when uh, the Redcoats were coming and they would say things like this, in the name of King George III, submit. And our patriot founding fathers said, we know no king but Jesus. How many of you know that didn't go over so well with King George III? But how many of you know that's been our declaration from the beginning? No king but Jesus. And you know, sometimes when people say, well, what's your opinion on this or that? Just say, you know, I don't really have an opinion, but I do follow the one whose opinion matters. His name's Jesus. This is what Jesus thinks about this. And I don't argue with him. He rose from the dead. He's got some pretty serious credentials. If you want to argue uh, with him, you do it. But I just submit to what he says. No king but Jesus. I want to ask you, do you have any other king but Jesus when you go in the election booth? Or is Jesus still your king? Do you have any king but Jesus when you go to work? When you operate in the public arena, is there another king in your life but Jesus? There shouldn't be. You remember when we were in uh, at 1 Kings 18, prophets of Baal and Elijah, the big confrontation they had. I love the message paraphrase of this. It says, the moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, so it's you, old troublemaker. And Elijah said this back to him. It's not I who caused trouble in Israel, but you and your government, because you've dumped God's ways and commands and you've run off after the local gods, the Baals. How many of you know you're going to be a troublemaker? You're either going to be on the side of the enemy making trouble by your compromise, right? Or you're going to be on the side of the Holy Spirit and on the side of the kingdom standing up for truth. And I'm telling you, Christians who stand for truth and don't bend are absolutely troublemakers. And a whole lot of other nasty names that you will be called. And let me just help comfort you because I know that many of you are struggling emotionally to get through this, all right? Let me, help, let me give you some comforting words this morning. Get over it. I hope that helps you as we move ahead. You know, I just got to say this. The best thing that happened for me when I ran for office is the Lord destroyed me of my people-pleasing tendencies. I'm just saying, all y'all should just run for office. It's a great, it will purify you. It will consecrate you. Hey, you never know. Maybe some of you will get elected. I don't know. Um, But I will promise it will do this. It will absolutely destroy your fear of man and your desire to please others. Because you'll realize at the end of the day, it's so much easier just to please one person. His name is Jesus. Because you know what? A lot of people are not going to be happy with you. This word impossible man, or this phrase, was first used to describe an 11th century Benedictine reformer named Peter Damien. He called for reforms against all the evils that were present during his day. And I get, here's why I love history. He could be speaking today. He was speaking against homosexuality that had crept into the church and among the leaders. He was speaking against sexual perversion. He was calling the leadership to task. And you know what? They didn't like him. They said he was fanatical. He wouldn't compromise. They, they said this about him. He was unmanipulable. I want to ask you that question. Are you not subject to manipulation by outside forces? No matter how much pressure and squeeze comes your way, will you stand for truth or are you going to cave in? 
They said he was unbribable. Do you have a price? Man, if I stand up for this at work, it might cost me a promotion. It might cost me my job. What's your price for truth? So, I mean, these are serious questions I'm asking. I mean, these are not light questions. What's your price? Are you, are, you, are you able to be bought? He was undeterrable. He, he, he had a fixed gaze on where he was going. Impossible men and impossible women are stubborn tenacious, unbending, obstinate. And I'm not talking about in the flesh because those things are not good qualities in the flesh. But how many of you know when it comes to grabbing a hold of truth, these are great qualities. Stubborn. You have bulldog-like tenacious tendencies about truth. You will not let go once you get a hold of truth. You're not going to be bending with the times like the reed that's bending in the wind. You're going to be obstinate. This was said about the early Christians. Whatever the nature of their admission, I am convinced that their stubbornness and unshakable obstinacy ought not to go unpunished. Why did the emperor punish the Christians? Because they wouldn't cave. Because they had no king but Jesus. And they wouldn't cave. So since they remained unbending and obstinate, I have condemned them. How I many of you know things haven't changed? And so here's what I'm challenging you with this morning. If you'll read history, why in the world should we be left out of the joy of standing for righteousness and truth in our generation and dealing with a little pushback? Right now, it's a little pushback. Who knows where our nation's headed apart from the church of Jesus Christ standing up for truth. But right now, it's just a little pushback. It's, it's being accused of being on the wrong side of history. Can I just let you all know this morning, you're on the right side of history every time you stand with God because he, history is his story, all right? So when you're on his side, you'll always come out on the right side of history. All these folks that are, especially politicians are good at this, putting their finger up in the wind is, you know, I mean, you know, most of the people running for office now have flip-flopped on most uh, positions about a dozen times. The reason they flip-flop is because of public opinion polls and because they will prostitute themselves and do whatever it takes to get elected. They're political prostitutes. They're not statesmen and stateswomen. They're prostitutes. And so they'll change and they'll flip-flop and they'll be enlightened and they'll see things in a new way when, you know, the Bible hasn't changed. Because they have a price and because they have a God that's greater than Jesus and because they're willing to sell their souls to get elected. These are terrible things. Jesus is Lord uh, and our allegiance and our confession and our authority and our standard and our rule of life must be Jesus Christ himself. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Are you prepared to follow Jesus and his authority at all costs? It's a good question to ask personally. Are you prepared to follow the authority of Christ over your life at all costs? At all costs. If you're not, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you on your Christian card. Because you know what? That's not biblical Christianity. Now, we might be struggling to get there. And honest people can say, man, I want Jesus to be Lord, but I'm still struggling. That's okay. You can be struggling, but you can't have it both ways. You know, you're going to stand before the Lord. And Jesus puts those verses in the Bible, those scary ones. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you deny me before men, I'm going to deny that I ever knew you before the Father. How many of you know that'll get your attention? You know what it should do? It should put courage in you to say, you know what? Am I really standing up for Christ in the public arena where it matters and where there might be a cost? That's the question. Am I willing to submit 
to the lordship of Jesus, the authority of Jesus in every area of my life. Now, I'm grateful that the Bible gives us some really amazing models for cultural engagement. And I'm going to give you three of them. It's found in Ezekiel 14. This is an interesting chapter. It starts off with Ezekiel speaking the judgment of God over leaders in particular. Why was he speaking the judgment of God over leaders? Because the leaders had idols in their heart. How many of you know we need to get the idols out of our heart? Amen? Leadership is held to a higher standard. We need to get the idols out of our heart. We need to be leading with purity and integrity. And then in the second part of that chapter, basically God begins to say judgment is coming because of what's going on in the nation. Now, two times in verse 14 and in verse 20, you'll see the same three people mentioned by God. How many of you know when God mentions three people out of everybody in the Bible that he could mention, but God himself, through the Holy Spirit, prophesying through Ezekiel, pulls out three names, we should pay attention to those three names. Even if Noah and Daniel and Job were here, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, says the sovereign Lord. God's saying, you know what? If I drop those three men in the midst of your culture and let them be their awesome, righteous, prophetic selves, Still, it wouldn't change a thing. You're still going to stand before me and give an account for your unrighteousness. Their righteousness will save them, but it won't save you. But how many of you know we can learn from the lifestyle of these three men? Because it says something about how we live today. And here's what, I, here's what my heart desire is. You know, we're going to pray tomorrow night. I encourage you all to come out. I'd love to see this building packed every square nook with people praying for our, our nation and crying out to God. Um, but here's the deal. And then the next day, we're going to have an election. And you know what? And then the next day, we're going to get out of our beds, and we're going to live like godly people. And, uh, and that's my challenge to you. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But let's look at the example of Noah. The Bible says in Genesis 6, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at that time. Quite a statement from the Lord. And look at the third thing here. He walked in close fellowship with God. Can I just encourage all of us as God's people? Make sure you're developing a personal encounter and ongoing fellowship with the living God through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, that you wake up and the first thought that hits your mind when you're awake is you give glory to God. When your feet hit the ground, you go spend time with the Lord before you do anything else, and that you build this into your life as a routine. How many of you know nothing is more important in this world, this side of eternity, than our personal fellowship, relationship, intimacy, passion for Jesus? And so can I challenge you with something? Be faithful. Be faithful in what? Be faithful in the Word. Be faithful in fellowship. Be faithful in church attendance. I don't know about you, but I need to get together with our worship team and let them take me somewhere in the presence of the Lord because my heart needs to be pumped up with life and full of the Holy Spirit. How about you? We need each other. We need a walk with God. We need righteous lives. Listen, we need to be different than the world. We need to be walking in purity. Can I get an amen on all these things? If you're going to live like Noah, if you're going to live like Noah, walk with God and live a holy life. Look at what it says next about him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things he had that had never even happened before. There was no floods. There was no need for boats. He he's building something. He had no idea what this thing is or what it was for. But by faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Notice that first sentence. By faith, he built a boat to save his family. Can I encourage you? Don't be pessimistic about raising kids in our culture. 
Be prophetic. You can be pessimistic or prophetic. Your gifts are, 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 your children are gifts from God. They are arrows to be shot into the heart of the enemy. And our job, when we wake up on the day after the election, my first job as a man of God is to make sure every single one of my children have a personal relationship with Jesus, that they're growing, that they're thriving, that I'm teaching them the word of the Lord. I just had a discussion with Jason. I said, this election is not about me. I don't have that much time left on planet Earth, all right? I mean, relatively speaking, don't anybody get worried. I'm doing all right. Feeling pretty good today, all right? Not going anywhere. I'm in a fighting mood now after that song. But anyway, but I told Jason, I said, it's your generation that I'm concerned that we're going to be handing you a United States of America that looks nothing like what most of us grew up in. I said, it's your generation. So I just want to say this to every young person here. This is your fight. I don't know where to begin. We will help you. I don't know who to follow. We will lead you. Uh, how do I connect the dots? We will help connect dots for you. But you got to get a fighting spirit in your heart and realize you got to grab a hold of your nation. This is for you. And I'll just say this. Some of you are like, I'm clueless. I get it because what I've been preaching on is taught nowhere if it's not taught in the church. So you need to get aggressive. In fact, I, I'm going to ask, I'm just trying to let the Holy Spirit lead. If you want to be a part of transformation in your generation and you feel a prophetic call on your life to be a voice to your generation and you're younger than me here today, uh, stand up. To, some of you are wondering, how old is Pastor? 39. All right, but stand up. <laughs> I want to pray for you guys. You, you want to be a voice. You want to be a prophetic voice. Come on. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. Stay up. We want to pray. Stay on your feet if that's you. Stay on your feet. I just want us to lift our hands and surrender to the Lord because he sees. God is watching right now. This is not some religious thing. Father, I ask you to mark every one of these people that are standing. God, I pray for that prophetic anointing to burn in their hearts. Lord, I pray you give them a voice. I pray that you give them wisdom and favor and understanding. And God Almighty, I ask you to raise up this next generation of reformers, preachers of righteousness like Noah. God, raise them up. And Lord, for all of us as parents in this room, we thank you that our children are going to follow the the Lord Jesus Christ, that our children will be mighty in the land, that our children will be moving in the favor of God, and that our children will fulfill the destiny that you have over their lives. Lord, capture every heart that's standing. Let this be a moment from heaven, God, where you say, I, I've marked them, I've grabbed them, I've set them apart. And Lord, I just pray let the church be a, a, a launch pad of fiery prophetic voices for righteousness in every arena of life, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give him a hand. Amen. Hallelujah. Here, here's the fight I want you to get in your spirit. I am not losing any of my seed. Every one of them will thrive. Every one of them will have an encounter with God. Every one of them will be blessed of the Lord. I'm not going to let the culture put fear in my heart about the future of my children. Oh my gosh, I don't want to bring children into this world. Are you kidding me? Bring godly kids by the dozens into the world. All y'all have big families, lots of kids. 
Give the devil heartburn every time. We're pregnant. No, not them again. How many of you know Noah was on this building project for about 120 years? Do you think they ever made fun of him? <laughs> Only every day. Can I just tell you something? They made fun of him until the rain started. Then they all came running. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And can I tell you this? While you're loving on your family and loving on your wife, and while you're being blessed, keep preaching righteousness. Keep pointing people to Jesus. Keep offering hope. Keep being the living example of the gospel of good news so people are attracted to you. You know what? When we do this right, we're a magnet. You're a magnet. People flock in. I'm talking, is the guy here today that was running the truck out there, did he show up? The guy running the vending truck out there was blown away by the event last night, by the love of the people, by the spirit of this place. Listen, the world should be blown away by the church. They're like, where do I sign up? How do I get in on that? See, here's it. This is why part of my passion, take the clock off the stinking wall. All right. This is why, this is why my passion is that we would model the joy, the life, the love, the power, the presence, the passion of Jesus, his bride that, he, that the bride has towards the son. Because when people see that, when people are singing about dead bones coming to life and David's up there, live, live, and they're like, where am I? But I like this because there's something, this is not... You can't sleep through a service like that. I had people tell me, you know, Pastor, one thing we like about this church is I've not fallen asleep once. Hallelujah! We're just getting started. Come on. You're all talking too much. I got to skip some ground here. Let's go to Daniel. Daniel 1, verse 8. Daniel was determined, everybody say determined, Determined. not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. Can I encourage you? Can you develop a, a holy hatred for anything that would compromise your integrity with Jesus? And you know what? Let me just raise the bar. The Bible says everything is permissible to us. So listen to me. No Christians say, well, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. Oh, no. You can do whatever you want. But why don't we say that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial? Why don't we pursue things that don't dull our appetite for God? But but check this out. But that throw gasoline on our affections for Jesus. So why do anything? Why watch anything? Why partake of anything that's going to dull your sensibility, your passion toward Jesus? Well, I can do it. I, I have the liberty to do it. Yeah, you have the liberty to do it. But what's liberty for? Remember freedom from, freedom for. I want my freedom to be used to fulfill the destiny God has for my life. I want my freedom, check this out, I want my freedom to be used to fuel passion for Jesus. I don't want to be passionate for Jesus because I'm being persecuted or because I'm in crisis. Oh, now I gotta seek God, crisis. No, I wanna be a life giver in times of blessing. I wanna live differently and and steward the blessing of God on my life. All right, I'm, I'm editing as I go. I'm glad I got smart people back there as my PowerPoint people. Way to go, Barbara. 
All right. How many of you know, it says in Daniel 6, 4, Daniel, uh, Daniel was faithful. These are great qualities. Responsible. Always responsible. And completely trustworthy. Young person, if you're looking for a promotion and a big pay raise, can I just tell you, that's your verse. Be faithful. Always responsible. Completely trustworthy. You'll be running the company. All right? Those people are hard to find. Those people are hard to find in our culture today. How many of you know when one of the government officials got too big for his britches and decided to pass a law that you couldn't pray? Look what Daniel did in Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open. He wasn't hiding in the closet. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Let me bring this down to modern times. The governor of California just issued a Thanksgiving edict. You can't celebrate Thanksgiving indoors. Um, you can only celebrate for two hours. Talk about a, a royal party pooper, all right? Two hours. You are limited to how many families you can have over. You have to wear a mask in between bites. Now, let me give you a little help. Pastor, what would you do? If you lived in California, y'all ready for my spiritual answer? Governor Newsom, take a hike. All right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we do. I'll tell you what we do. We would throw, we would change our plans. We would throw a stinking Thanksgiving party for all you all. I would hug and kiss you at the door. Come on. We would raise our drumsticks to the one to whom we are giving thanks. Thanksgiving is about giving thanks to the one who deserves the highest praise, the highest adoration. It does not have anything to do with government. <laughs> When Hollywood is outraged at the governor, you know he's crossed the line. <laughs> One comedian said, governor, actually he said, Emperor Gavin, Emperor Gavin, if my aunt shows up, can I at least throw her a piece of turkey out the window? <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. Some emperor says, no prayer. You got to come do it this way. What did Daniel do? He did what he was used to doing. He worshiped the Lord. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Because listen, Daniel was an impossible man. 
Daniel had convictions. Daniel drew the line. Daniel understood who he was there for. He wasn't working for the emperor. He's under the king of glory. He understands where he's at. And listen, he didn't listen. In fact, look at the tattletales. Look at the cancel culture in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. That man, Daniel, you know, that one. Look what that man did. One of the captives, one of those old slaves from Judah, you know, the troublemaker, he is ignoring you and your law. Can I just tell you, Christian people, you nice people, you sheeps, sheeps, sheep. Plural of sheep, plural of sheep. Okay. There are times when you simply have to say, thank you for your opinion. But I have convictions that differ. While I appreciate you and love you and would invite you to my Thanksgiving dinner, I'm not going to agree with you, and I'm not going to compromise, and I'm going to ignore what you just said because it has no authority in my life. <laughs> just smile while you do it. It's okay. And eat your turkey for the glory of God. All right? But can I just tell you, this is why I got to be good. I'm already out of time. This is why government matters. Because you don't want your governor telling you what to eat and how to eat it and who to eat it with and how long you can eat it for Thanksgiving. But if you elect idiots to office, they will ruin your holidays and then some. Ideas have consequences. And who we elect has consequences. Quickly, the example of Job. Blameless, complete integrity, feared the Lord, stayed away from evil. We've already talked about that. Let me end with this. How many of you know doom and gloom and alarmism and fear are never the way for the people of God? I love that we sang the song about rattle this morning because we're singing about dead men coming alive again, throwing a body on top of Elijah, boom, the resurrection power coming off of Elijah's corpse brought life we serve a god for whom nothing is impossible can i just tell you something we're going to wake up on wednesday morning some people are going to be depressed some people are going to be happy some people are going to be having emotional breakdowns like we've seen on twitter <laughs> um god i just feel so sorry for those people i laugh at them first but then i feel sorry for them um i'm like seriously okay life is going to go on this is what's important. I love what this verse says. Look at Psalm, I'm close here, maybe. Psalm 71, 14. Read it out loud with me. But as for me, let's say that again. But as for me, I will always have hope. Oh, stop right there. This needs to go on your stinking refrigerator. But as for me, I will always have hope. And check this out, and I'm going to praise you more and more and more and more and more. Amen. 
Where are we going? What's the future of America? I am going to praise the Lord. And as for me, I'm going to move in the hope of the Lord. I'm going to move in the joy of the Lord. I'm going to believe that God's doing whatever he's doing for his glory and for the good of his church and for the blessing of people. How about you? So I don't want anybody on Facebook, I don't want to watch your Facebook post. Oh my gosh, the dark night of winter is coming. Joe Biden prophesied it. It's all coming. Stop it. Put some praise verses on there. Offer some people some hope. We've had a whole election cycle of looking at all the crazy stuff. Everybody's sick. Put a puppy picture with a scripture verse on your Facebook. I don't care what you do. A taco. Put a taco on your Facebook. I don't care what you're going to do. But listen, have hope. Let me be pregnant with hope. I, I've said this. I, oh, my gosh, i got to shut up. One last thing. There's not a single person in this room. 20 years of age and, un- and under that wants to come to a church that's fascinated with how dark and gloomy the world's going to become. All right, I'm seeing some young people nod their head. Who wants to come to church and we're all prophets of doom? Well, you know, in our end time chart, put it away. <laughs> Offer people God-centered hope. Jesus is still on the throne. Be happy about it. You know what we're going to do? We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to keep building. We're going to keep loving. We're going to keep growing. We're going to keep being solutions to problems. Because that's the way we roll. Come on, that's the way we roll. Hop to your feet. Yeah, Jesus. Woo! We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. The shortest prayer I've ever prayed. Lord, bless these folks. Father, fill us with your joy. Help us to make the biggest impact we can possibly make in this very short time we're on planet Earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.